Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Brian is not. He is away for the holidays, but thank you so much for checking back in. Uh, we have a special New Year's Eve gift for you. Uh, Brooke Lopez, former net great, joined the show for 15 good minutes. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Bucks, uh, his time with the Nets, and then a lot of Star Wars talk, which I think is good. you're going to find pretty interesting if you're a Star Wars fan. Brooke has some strong opinions. And it needs to be known. Um, thank you all for listening. Of course, you can continue to follow us on Twitter at BK Glue Guys, iTunes Five Stars. We want them, we need them, we have to have them. And NetsDaily.com. Uh, read all the content there. This is slightly a little bit of a gift for you all because we do appreciate you guys, you know, listening for all these years. And Brooke is sort of the perfect person to have on the show because, you know, what he has meant to the Nets and, you know, he's playing so well this year for the Bucks. So this is my interview with Brooke Lopez. And uh, again, thank you for listening. How are things going with the Bucks? I mean, you know, you guys are at least statistically one of the best teams in the league. Was that something that you expected when you signed there? Or is this even a surprise to what you were doing? You know, I think uh, it was just a good opportunity. You know, obviously uh, the team had the talent. Uh, they made a great hire with uh, Coach Bud and his whole staff is great. And then uh, the timing of everything is just, it's a great time to be a Buck. And you know, I, I can't really say I'm surprised given the kind of players and caliber of people that are, are on the scene. You're in a unique case where you were a guy who was like classically thought of as a low post threat and you altered your game uh, dramatically, particularly with your last season here with the Nets. Was that a conscious decision? Was that something that you knew that you had to change or was you pushed to do that and then you sort of just adapted while being pushed? It, it was just uh, something Kenny wanted to add because uh, obviously the way he runs offense, five out, um, he wanted to be able to have me on the perimeter and then it was it was more of a melding there in Brooklyn and then from there it's just continued to skew more towards playing outside pretty much the majority of the time and shooting threes. How did that work, that transition? Because someone who isn't a pro basketball player like myself, I would think you just shoot a bunch of threes. But I know it's like there's a lot more that goes into it. So what did you do to change what you were doing so that you would be a three-point threat? I mean, um, I was comfortable shooting threes. You know, it was great that, you know, I was given the opportunity and everyone had confidence in me to uh, shoot it. But the, the toughest part of the transition, I think, was just playing on the perimeter consistently and getting used to – to playing off the ball in that situation, you know, moving without the ball, and just being in the right area at the right times uh, in that position, you know, playing more like a guard or a forward for, you know, 24 seconds on a shot clock each possession. Not that it seems easy, but like that seems to be the way to have to do it. But so many guys can't do it. Is there anything that you, anyone you kind of leaned on to, to make that transition or was it just something that you were just in the gym trying to figure out as it was going on? Yeah, it was kind of just, you know, working on it while it was happening um, and just a lot of repetition going through <clears throat> scripting offense, um, you know, and just getting used to where, you know, where you want your floor balance and everyone on the floor. Obviously, you play with probably the most unique player right now in the NBA and Giannis. Mm-hmm. 
give me one thing that you've seen from him that is maybe the most unique in terms of on the basketball court. I mean, just there's moments, there's multiple moments in, in every game where I'm just like, wow, like as a fan, like this guy is doing stuff I've never seen before. And I mean, just the way that he attacks the basket, the way he moves for his size and gets the basket. And then when he seems like he's stuck down there and he has two defenders on him who seem to have him corralled and he just decides he's going to rise up and dunk over them, like <laughs> that's something I'll never get used to. Is there, I mean, you played with older KG, um, and that'd be the guy, if if I would compare Giannis to someone, I guess it would be KG, but who who is he like, or is he just so unique that there really hasn't been someone like him? I don't think you can really compare him to just one guy, you know, I mean, he's he's really his own, his own beast. You go from being a 20-point scorer with the Nets to then going to LA, and the, obviously that was, you know, sort of a transition year overall for both the Nets when you got when you left and then you being in LA. How is it moving from being the main offensive threat to being, you know, a very reliable complementary player? What has to happen for you to make that happen? Um, you know, I, I think we're really blessed here in Milwaukee that uh we, we have a lot of great people on this team, unselfish guys, team first guys, who who really have a great understanding of their role and they're willing to do their job and and do their role night in and night out, you know, and um, obviously um, that's not the case everywhere. And it just makes things so much easier for us. And, um, you know, it's it's one thing for a guy to be able to go out on a nightly basis and go get 20 a game or something like that, you know, or but, you know, that, that may not necessarily be his job. And we have a lot of guys that can go out and score the ball in unbelievable ways or, you know, do their own thing or go get theirs. But, um, you know, obviously that's not necessarily what's best for the team, you know, and um, I think we've found a great balance in that regard. So you are now two, well, you know, a season and a half removed from being with the Nets. There seems to always be, I don't know if you got this when you're with the team, but there's like a, an air of mystery around what Sean Marks is sort of doing in terms of development. Is there anything you can tell us about what was different? What what was different that Sean and Kenny brought in that you know maybe was not necessarily wasn't here before, but is being emphasized now? Uh, not nothing. That I really, know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, you could. Well, no. you don't want to co- talk about it, or you just don't want to. No, I just I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess they're secretive. I don't know, but I don't really know. <laughs> you know I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Um, from your time with the Nets, obviously, you know, you were the guy for so long here. And when your name came up in free agency, you know, we get this all the time. Even after the trade had happened with D'Angelo, you went to L.A., you know, everyone constantly is still rooting for you here with the Nets. And they also, when you were a free agent, people wanted you to be brought back here. Was there ever a discussion of you maybe resigning with the team, or was that not really in the picture for you? Uh, I didn't really hear anything like that. Um, you know, I just I appreciate everyone's support. Obviously, I was there for so long, and, and that time, my time there means the world to me. So it, it's great to hear that. You know, people feel that way there, and the feelings mutual in that regard. You know, I feel the same way for the fans. I think I heard you on Zach Lowe's podcast talking about KG as being you know, a really great teammate when he came over. What is it about him that, you know, because we hear about certain guys being great teammates, but, like, what specifically would you say that KG brought to the table that, you know, made him a unique teammate for yourself? 
you know, for me, I just, I just learned so much from him. He was really like an open book, and I tried to be a sponge, just, you know, taking up all the knowledge I possibly could. And he, he made himself very accessible to just everyone, you know. Um, every player on the team he was open with, he tried to help them out in whatever situation they were in, trying to help make them better, you know, on and off the court. And he was just the most unselfish and generous person you know, I've played with. Obviously, during your time with the Nets, your name was always linked to trade rumors. And I imagine that's a very strange thing. During one of the times when Dwight Howard and you may have been traded for each other, there was the time of the deadline, 2011. That was so close to happening. From your just your perspective, what were you hearing at that time um, that about that trade and your possibility of going to Orlando? Uh, I don't really remember hearing anything about an Orlando trade like coming that close to happening. I never heard anything from my agent about that. I only I only heard one about from the Thunder probably like five years ago or something like that, close to the deadline. I, I never actually personally heard anything about Orlando trade getting that close to going through. How, how is that as a player to like sort of be in trade rumors? Is it just something that you ignore completely or is it? Yeah, it's not something I pay attention to. If, if I'm if, I, if something's going to happen, I know I'm going to hear it from my agent. Otherwise, it's pretty irrelevant. You want to talk a little Star Wars? Because I have a couple of questions for you, just as a general fan. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely do that. I know you know this, is that there's a wide spectrum of, you know, I was watching Last Jedi just this morning, actually. Uh, it's on Netflix, and it's just like something I pop on. Some people believe that it's the, the worst thing that happened to the franchise, because it, it pushed the force in all these weird ways. And other people think that it's the best movie of the franchise, because it did that. Where are you on the Last Jedi debate amongst, like, sort of, where do you put that within your pantheon of Star Wars movies? I barely saw it once. Really? Yeah. Why was that? <laughs> not into it or just not interested? Um, kind of both, honestly. Kind of both. Um, I just, I, I felt The Force Awakens was just a lot of rehashing, and then this one continued that, uh, yeah, the f- I mean, we are where we are. It, it, I mean, I just, I feel like these movies went out of their way to 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 ruin the legacy of our original characters that built the whole universe. That's interesting. So, did you watch? Do you watch the prequels at all? Do you dive into Solo yeah, or Rogue I, One? I, I, oh, those ones. I saw Rogue One. I didn't see Solo. You didn't. What kept you away from Solo? Was it all the bad buzz? No, it's just it's they've done a lot of Star Wars, for the, <laughs> like, and I love Star Wars, but they've like doing a movie a year and everything like that. It's it's a lot, and it's I, I don't really think um, God. I don't know. I just um I, I I prefer the older stuff and the and the original extended universe and everything. Yeah, how- I, I don't. I just. I. I think they went. I think they really like. I, I. Like I said, I think they really went out of their way to. To promote these new characters, that are that they own and they, quote unquote, created all their own. To, they they want to keep pushing those characters and these new movies and everything, and, and it's almost like they went out of their way to put Luke and Han and. And everyone in a bad light and, and, you know, solely what they did, you know, to obviously save the universe and, you know, the ending we got with Return of the Jedi. Are you a, are you a book reader of the Star Wars? Do you push that far? Yeah, I've, I've, I've read, yeah, I've read, I've read 
the original extended universe stuff. Not I haven't read any of the new stuff. Yeah, the, I I when I was like eight, a neighbor of mine gave me, I don't know, it was like twenty Star Wars novels at that point, and like obviously this is pre-internet, so I don't like know that they exist, and like just getting that dumped on you at that age was like, oh my gosh, look at all this like fresh Star Wars content that I can read. Uh, but now all that's been like wiped off the map. It's kind of crazy that they just decided to to like not make yeah. it a part of the universe anymore. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because I mean, obviously, I think they did a lot of good stuff there. There was a lot of crazy stuff in the extended universe between the books and the comics and everything too. But there was a lot of good stuff there, and I think I think they could have you know made a great sequel trilogy out of that stuff. And had they worked with George, you know, I heard they. I heard that George Lucas had a story idea and they kind of politely declined him and went with their own thing. And it was just, I don't know. I think they could have made something really great if they'd gone with George and gone with someone like Abrams or another filmmaker to shoot it. Cause I think they did a good job of capturing like the looks of a modern star Wars movie and everything. For sure, but just the but the ideas. There's there's nothing new there, and you know George is obviously a very creative mind. I mean, I mean he's created the most popular you know stories of all time, pretty much. And I mean, even with the prequels and and as rough as some of the parts of the prequels are, there's a lot of imaginative new stuff there that we hadn't seen before in the original movies. And with the sequel trilogy, I think they're struggling to get away from there are maybe they're scared to get away from kind of the same story beats the original trilogy went to because of the prequels. And, and that's what I like. So I, I just like, I have such a disdain for the force awakens. I mean, I like the characters fine and I understand the motivation for doing it. I do like last Jedi. And I think if you want to take my advice, it's worth I don't know if you've watched it in full. It is worth... There's parts of it that are 100% worth watching. There's a lightsaber fight scene that's, like, incredible and all this stuff. But... I I, I, and I did watch it, and I, you know, I, I agree with you on some of the parts. I just... I It, it frustrated me for, for Luke, for one thing, because I just think that it completely... It's a, so much character assassination on Luke's part. I think it's ridiculous, just, again, to build up their new characters... And then I, I, for everything that I, for all I didn't like about Force Awakens, obviously J.J. Abrams had a plan, and it frustrates me that clearly, clearly the makers didn't adhere to that and just went with whatever they were doing. And now they're going back to J.J. Abrams, right, for the next one. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's like Yeah, they are. I, I just, it's like, clearly they don't know what they're doing. They didn't have a plan going in and it's just, yeah, it kind of ruins it for me. The prequels came out, uh, I don't know. What was I, I was in like fourth or fifth grade when episode one came out. Um, yeah. my dad actually took me, it was, it came out on my birthday. My dad took me to the midnight screening. I was like eight years old, mm-hmm. amped up. Obviously the star Wars, I grew up, you know, watching star Wars and all that stuff. So it was like out of my mind. And I have now a weird appreciation for the prequels because if I watch the movies again, there's so many flaws, but I appreciate what George did with building that world to such a mat. Like he, 
you know, there's problems, but he explained the motivations of these guys and why, he, he how we got to Darth Vader, you know? Yeah, he did. And, and it was like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying, you know, I'm not trying to defend the, the prequels are what they are. You know, we all know what they are, but he had a lot of, you know, obviously there's great story ideas that I think could have been something so special. And then a lot of just really different creative ideas that, that, you know, we hadn't seen before, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, it, it's too, I wish they could have found a sort of middle ground going into these, into the sequel trilogy between, you know, George's amazing vision and, you know, some of these great, you know, filmmakers we have today. All right, Brooke, I've, took, sounds, yeah. I've taken up enough of your time with this. No problem. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you for joining me, and, you know, obviously, you know, you're in the Eastern Conference, technically a rival of the Nets in some way, but... Like a lot of a lot of our fans still really root for you in, in a real way. I'm not just saying that. So thank you for uh, for joining us on the show. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So there you have it. That is my interview with Brooke Lopez, and I apologize to every Nets fan out there that isn't a Star Wars fan and wanted more Brooke rehashing sort of his time with the Nets. But you know, this is sort of what you're going to get here. Uh, the glue guys we're going to talk basketball and then we're also going to talk a bunch of other stuff but again we appreciate you listening um we'll be back in your ears as soon as we possibly can i mean the nets are ascendant at the moment um that game i'm recording this on friday afternoon at 4 15 so this is probably going to date by the time you hear this but the game against the hornets at barclay center was phenomenal one of the strangest games I have ever seen, at least from the Nets perspective, with a lane up violation and fouls on three-point shots and fouls in the backcourt and uh, guys missing free throw shots that would have won the game, that didn't win the game. Um, strange end-of-game decisions offensively that the Hornets were making. Um, great defense by the Nets. Uh, Rodion's Karuks being an ascendant player to a degree that no one could have expected, that Kenny Atkinson has repeatedly talked about as being a surprise. But we'll see going forward. Uh, we again, we'll we'll talk in your ears as soon as we possibly can because this team is so damn exciting. And hopefully, 2019 will be the year the Nets compete, continue to compete for that playoff spot. That's that's all we're going for. We're not we don't have big plans. We just want that. Uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll be back in your ears as soon as possible. Yeah, boy. Yeah.